Daniel, we're back. We are. It, it, it's just the two of us today. Adam uh, is on. Adam is sick. I was going to make He's a day hockey to day. joke. I was going to make a hockey no? joke. Okay. It didn't come out right the way I wanted it to, so I skipped past it. Okay. But yeah, Daniel is day to day. Or Adam is day to day. Adam is day to day. Yeah. Uh, he's sick, but he should be back Sunday, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, but Daniel, how are you? You know what? I'm okay. You know, a long work day, but... Like I don't. Are you feeling this? I don't know if you are because you're more. Uh, you're more of a focused, concentrated guy that I am. Oh, but, okay. No, I wouldn't yeah. agree with that at all. But let's go with it. But um, it's that time of the year where basketball, uh, baseball's picking up. Yeah. Basketball and hockey. Basketball's in playoffs. Hockey is about to go into the playoffs, and I'm really distracted with the amount of games that are on each night from all three sports that I love. Yeah, no, no, 100%. And like, we're kind of coming down to, uh, and it, we're coming down to the end of the season in soccer, too, where this, the leagues over in Europe are coming to an end. Uh, Formula One literally just started, MLS just started. Like, literally, it's so good all at once. Uh, it's, it's an exciting time. You brought up the Raptors, and I, I, I feel like I know we're a hockey podcast. We're going to get to the hockey. There's course, some yeah. stuff to talk about, but I do have to ask about the Raptors. Um, they're now down 2-0. and Honestly, by the time this podcast comes out, it could be 3 nothing. It could be 2-1 in the series. Daniel, I've watched it. I, I didn't get to watch the entire second game, but I saw parts of it. What happened? I don't know. They just couldn't keep the momentum. I think, you know, game one, we, we had all the jokes. They they, yeah. they lose. They always lose game one, no matter what. It's a Toronto tradition. Game two, they had the momentum in the first quarter, and they just didn't hold on. They kind of let they let everything slide in a way. And I know that there's going to be a lot of people who say that there's many reasons for this. And I'm, I'm one of them where I say, yes, the calls were imbalanced. I didn't believe in the calls, the amount of free throws, what was going on there. Um, and I think it's just the third thing too, that I've, I've seen online is the cynicism of things that, you know, I, we all know it, Alex, you know it. Yeah. We loved 2019. We do. Yes, we do. But it's a new team. And I don't know. I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm on the side of things where I'm like, it was fun. It was great, but there's no Marcus all guarding Joel Embiid this time. And I we just have to accept it. We just have to accept it. And I know there's no Kawhi Leonard going on either. But I I think like at first I was I was kind of down in the dumps where I'm like, oh it's two nothing. These were really bad losses. And I don't know what to think of it right now, but two things that's keep that's keeping me going. Milwaukee, they were down two nothing in the conference mm-hmm. finals. Um, and also Fred Van Fleet, like has, he's been a breath of fresh air in terms of positivity. I think he said, he's not worried. He said it's the first to win four. And I love that attitude. So that might change after tonight, depending on how things go Mm. for game three, but Mm. I'm with Fred on this. Right. No, a hundred, a hundred percent. You got to go with the, uh, hometown team. Um, 
I, I wanted to ask you about this because I thought it was hilarious. And, you know, you don't we never really see that in see this in the NHL because it, it's just, you know, the last time we really saw what I'm about to explain was like Radam Verbata walking by Kevin, uh, Kevin Bieksa on the bench. And you have Elaine Vigneault just laughing uh, behind him. Um, oh, there was a, we'll call it an interaction between Nick Nurse and Joel Embiid. And we, they talked about it afterward and essentially it got down to Joel Embiid told Nick Nurse to stop complaining about, uh, the officiating. And I, I, what did you think of that interaction? Because you know we do, especially in hockey. When was the we do not see that? Oh my gosh, that's like okay. The way I felt there is like if I would imagine Tom Wilson, yeah, yeah, going for a hit, and then in the press conference saying, you know, listen, the game has become too dirty, and um, <laughs> I really feel like you know they should be calling these types of hits more often that's what i kind of felt or even i think about jay beagle where yeah after that whole thing where you know it was the unnecessary punches to troy terry and then he at the end of the game says you know there's no place for violence in this type in this game um i'd like to shout out lee van osman by the way our boy at the toronto star um he had an amazing tweet by the way when i think it was tim and it was when people were like what do you think Nick Nurse and Joel Embiid are speaking about. Yeah. And his quotes was Marcus Saul's on the flight to Toronto as we speak. <laughs> I love that. That's that's uh that is hilarious. Now I feel like we should shift back to hockey. I mean, I'm sure we could talk about the Raptors. Well, um, I didn't hear you. What, what's your prediction for tonight? Oh, I mean, like I I think I think and who was it? Uh I think it was Amy Audebert was on uh, the Raptors show this afternoon and she was talking about Philly and talking about um, how there really is home court advantage, especially when you're in Philly and when they're winning. And like, I wonder if we're going to see the same thing here because I I think Scotiabank arena during my perception uh, totally, but Scotiabank arena is very different when there's a Leafs game versus when there's a Raptors oh, definitely, game. I, like, yeah. I think there's, there's more, um, I'll call it energy in the building because I don't think, you know, that the bottom bowl, the lower bowl is full of suits the way it is uh, 99% of the time it is for Leaf games. And, you know, I wonder if, you know, the Raptors could use that, not to their advantage. Like, I, I, I just think it's not going to, I think it could be to their advantage in a way. Just we'll find out tonight. I, I hope the Raptors win. I think they can. I believe. Yes. I, believe. I, I still believe even if it goes down three zero, I will yeah. believe till the end <laughs> until Philly gets the four wins. I will continue to believe. What if Shaq's what if Shaq was right? I really don't. I really hope he's not right. I really hope he's not right. A lot, uh, whatever. Let's 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 not even because we're on the side of Ernie Johnson and Charles yeah, Barkley. Let, yeah, let, yes. let's not uh let's not talk about them getting swept. That would not be fair. Um, let's shift to hockey and obviously let's start with first uh a few days ago, Mike Bossy obviously passed away at the age of 65. He was uh, diagnosed with lung cancer back in October. Um, so our, obviously our condolences go to his family and the New York Islanders organization. 
that organization has got, and their fans especially, have gone through a lot recently. Uh, obviously, Mike Bossy most recently before that, Clark Gillies, and I think before that was Jean Potvin. And like, it's just, it's it's so unfortunate. 65 again is uh, so young. Yeah, it's still very young. Um, yes, of course, like our condolences to his family and his loved ones. Uh, both of us, we were not born in the, we were not alive no. in the 80s, no. born in the 80s. Um, so for me, I only got to know about Mike Bossy through the books, through what was said on TV. So, you know, part of that for that for Pete, one of the greatest wingers to ever play and apparently had a good mean streak to him. Like he had the personality before there was the personality, if that makes sense. Like yeah. he, he was a guy that liked to uh, speak out. He had like, I've just looked through it recently. The amount of quotes he had, um, like he gave to the media were amazing. I think there were some where he even said like, and this is like, this is something you expect from other sports of he, he's like, Oh, why am I never considered in like, the top names of guys kind of thing, or he dismissed the whole thing where he was overshadowed by the Gretzky era because it, it is true where he did win the cups before Gretzky emerged. So shout out to him, shout out to the respect he had both on and off the ice. So, um, but again, yeah, it, it is very sad at 65. Yeah. And, and just a, a couple things, facts I pulled out uh, that when it first it was announced nine straight 50 goal seasons, including five 60-plus goal seasons, and there were three straight 60-plus goal seasons. Uh, His lowest goal total in 10 NHL seasons was 38, and that was during his final year. Like, that's... I I know his... Obviously, he had a shorter career, obviously, because of injuries and and the like, but, man, I, I don't think we talk about Mike Bossy enough when it comes uh, to just straight up goal scorers. Cause he, in his first year, 50 plus goals. That's like, come on. I get it. Like at that time, but that, that is, that is very impressive. Yeah. So it, it's, it is crazy. Like I, I think, and there's always the saddest things I kind of feel where we reassess like or we we remember the legacy when they're gone that he of course he he did get it i think within the nhl circles of things but i think when it comes to fans or how things were covered i think that uh it would have been nice for him for him to get a bit more of the coverage especially in the modern times yeah no a hundred percent and and i think uh the coincidence i don't want to call it a coincidence but like it's crazy the series of events that were happening around the same time. You know, he passes away the same day the Islanders were in town to face the team that he grew up cheering for, which was the Montreal Canadiens and the city he was from. And it also happens to be the same night that Carey Price returns. Um, And, you know, I don't think there's a better um, arena or stadium in it, that does ceremonies like the bell center. And I think like, it was just, I, I don't know if you happen to see it, but it was just the, it, the, it was just so nice uh, to see and, you know, of it to be in Montreal of all nights, I think was just extremely special. 
Yeah, it was pretty amazing to like kind of see it. Um, you know, we we always see it on TV, and we, we always get. I guess uh, like we're very privileged to have Adam on the show with the yeah. season tickets. That he's our uh, our first hand uh, our our first hand reporter sometimes um, oh, of what goes on with the Bell Center. He always talks about fix you. Always talks about how they really present things pretty well. Even when like he said the Kent Hughes press conference, what he really loved about it, and. Sometimes uh, we really do need that when we actually get an idea of like, these are how special the Bell Center has been able to make these types of ceremonies and events. Yeah, a hundred percent. And before we move on again, condolences to the Islanders uh, and Mike Bossy's family and loved ones. Um, since, you know, it's a, always a rough transition. Yeah. Uh, and Adam always says it, but we were talking about the Habs. Let's go. We talked about, obviously, Carey Price has now played uh, two games, but he played his first game against the New York Islanders. This is his first game uh, since the since the 2021 Stanley Cup Finals, Game 5. You know, that that's a huge, huge story. Um, and, you know, he did play a second game against Minnesota last night. And, you know... I know we're definitely going to talk about it again next episode uh, when Adam's here, but I think we got to do it justice now. Uh, you know, how important do you think uh, Carey Price coming back is not just necessarily for the team, but for the fans? Because I think, you know, they've been through a lot since you know the summer essentially uh losing philip Deneau, shea weber and carrie price kind of being away from the team um and now obviously carrie price coming back but you know losing that presence and you know the season's not starting off anywhere where they expected um to now martin st louis what do you think carrie price coming back now means for the team and the fans um, I think for me, and um, I've used these, we've used these cliches a lot, but um, the the one thing I think of right away is it's the perfect bookend, I think, to this difficult season. Um, we've mentioned that, you know, we've been through all of it where it, it did not start well. It was not good for Montreal moving forward. And they realized after that they couldn't run it back with the same management. They couldn't run it back with the same type of core they had before. And they were able to fix things. The fundamental changes were there for them to get ready for what's going to be the quote unquote new hope of next year and beyond. And a lot of people have mentioned that of the book and would necessarily be like the cliche one of they get the first overall pick, you know, the pain for Shane campaign for Shane, Wright, And that's something that I think about. That's what you expect when a team is having a, a tough season. But I think, for something historical for the Montreal Canadiens, especially the way they value their core players, their standout guys like Carey Price, I think it was it was a perfect it was a perfect way to show the end of the season or how things are going to conclude in the coming games of Carey Price coming back, playing for the team no matter what the result was, and just getting just I guess like adding on to this momentum they already had of the management changes of changing a lot of the players of getting more draft picks and looking towards the future for things. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I agree with you there. And I think, I think, you know, for the, 
I think for the team and also for the fans to, to have Carey Price come back uh, is huge because, and, and I think Adam would agree here as well, that he has been the face of the franchise for over like practically a decade, maybe longer. Right. So for him to kind of step away from the team, I think obviously including the three of us, I took us for surprise, but now that he's come back and it's clear, he's confident. It's clear. He he's, he feels he's ready to come back. And I was one of the, the, and, and again, I was one of the guys saying, you know what, maybe you let him finish the season, but if he feels confident um, to come back, then he should come back because I think it's bigger. Carey Price coming back is bigger than the win or the loss. I I do like I think for him to come back it and I, unfortunately it necessarily hasn't shown in the play yet, um, and we'll get to that in a second, but. I think him coming back is so much bigger because of what he means to the franchise. And I know obviously there's been chatter about, Oh, the future of Carey price, the future of Carey price. I just, I don't want to have that conversation now. Not because like, I I just don't think the guy just came back. I get it. Like let's have that conversation in the summer. I think the important thing now is that he came back and you know, there was that question of what he w- when he was going to come back, what he was going to look like. And I just I want to move away from the, the negativity of, oh, what's his uh, future with the team? I agree. Like it's it's sometimes really difficult. Uh, like I I'm not saying that I'm 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 not guilty of this, but but just kind of always looking towards the team and say, okay, what's, what's ahead of things? Why can't we just kind of look at the stories that are in front of us right now and just be present in the moment of things? I think that this is kind of, this is one of the stories that I think it's monumental. It's going to be one of the bigger stories of this season. And yeah, like I, I kind of feel it too. Like I don't want to talk about okay, like trade scenarios, do all the because that's the cliche stuff. Well, it could just maybe we just have the bias because we we love Adam, but I I feel that as well. Like I feel that this is something that we don't have to speculate even further. It's just the guy came back, he's healthy, he did what he needed to do, and it motivated the team. I think it just gave another energy to the team of what they want to do and what they want to do moving forward. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I feel like we, we should know, and I don't want to kind of sour the carry price return, but it, it not for him in particular, but uh, the team in front of him hasn't given him much help. Obviously they did give up like a three on O against the Islanders. And uh, after last night, and yes, it's only been two games, but still, he has received no goal support. No, not at all. Even like even when he was heart winning, Carey Price, he still needed like a goal. Yeah, he needed a single goal, but he still needed the single goal, 
right? So again, the, this is the the team that it is, but it would be nice. I think Carey Price might want some goal support. It's always been like the common thing, though. I think even like when he was like in his prime, we always talked about that. That oh, okay, they're not scoring enough goals, kind of thing. So maybe I don't know. Maybe it's just a tradition thing. It's like we're <laughs> welcome back, Carey. Um, we kept things as they were since you came back since uh, since you last played. So welcome. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean that's that, that's that's the best explanation that either of us I could give. I don't think Adam would like it. Probably Maybe he'd agree with it. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll, uh, we'll add when he word. listens. When he listens, he we, we, he will text us to tell us if he um, agrees with that assessment or not. But we'll, we'll add something here. Well, uh, Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield uh, will be the goal scorers that they need in the future. So. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, no, they're yeah, yeah, no. Listen, I'm just gonna add that. So I he think adds, I, he, reads, he listens to the other part. You can hear this one too. Listen, I, I mean, I think I've been quite high on the Montreal Canadiens. Like even uh, going back to last year, uh, always Toronto's toughest opponent for what? Like just last year, it was like, come on, guys, figure this, figure this one out. It's clear. It's very clear. It's Montreal, not Edmonton. But that's besides the point. Um, Moving on from the Habs, we're going to move into Ontario now to the Ottawa Senators. Uh, I assume you've seen the piece written in the Athletic. Yes, um, I don't know how you could have missed it. Uh, but obviously, there was a Athletic piece uh, written by Ian Mendez, Dan Robson, and Katie Strang. Uh, and it's titled, this will tell you exactly what uh, it's about. The Eugene Melnick era in, in Ottawa. Hopeful, then bizarre and tyrannical. Now there's there's lots to dissect here, and I I beg you if you haven't gone to read this article yet, go read it. It's actually um, it's a lot of information to take in at once, uh, is the way I would put it. And you know he it details a lot of stuff about things that were going on behind the scenes. Uh, and, you know, about a Ukrainian guy he was helping for a period of time, that relationship deteriorated. Daniel, what did you think of the of that piece? It gave me a it gave me a lot of context on the behind the scenes of, I guess, a lot of key moments for me, especially in my childhood of what was going on with the Ottawa Senators, because when I started liking hockey, um, that was around 2003, 2004. The the Sens were a juggernaut. They were like I, I wasn't around Did you say when juggernaut? they were juggernaut. Yeah, yes, crazy. I mean yes. Um, like I wasn't around for the nineties when uh, they were you know getting the first overall pick like literally every year. I was never around for that. So for me, when coming in, like the stars were already there. Um, Jason Spezza, uh, Zidane Ochara, um, Daniel Alfredson, and then afterwards like Danny Heatley, um. That's what I knew the sense as. And I just kind of knew like they were this amazing team that somehow even got the star players. Like they got Dominic Hasek for that one year randomly. That was crazy to me. And that to me as a kid, I assumed they're going to be spending like this every year. Right. Um, and then, you know, 2004 happens. They lose to the Leafs. Great goals from Joe Neuendijk. Um, And I know in the piece even said that Eugene Malnick said, quote, he's going to, they're going to kill the Leafs in that 
playoff uh, series. And then you move on to like 2007. And even though they lost like key guys in free agency, um, you're still able to see that this was a contending team. And then suddenly like what happened? Like other than the Eric Carlson on one foot, getting them to the conference finals, like 2007 was really like their last breath. I think of being that juggernaut team that I knew as a kid. And then I always wanted to know like what happened. Like they had these high priced guys. They had these guys who I assumed were like, you assume that they're going to be there forever. Like a Daniel Alfredson, a Jason Spezza, you assume those types of guys are going to be there forever, but you never really give an explanation. You were never given one actually of what happened. And then why is it, why is it that like a lot of the veterans were either signing elsewhere or everyone was getting traded. So for me, that was uh, that was something I really took from the piece. Yeah, and I and a hundred percent. And I think what it what it did for for me was, you know, we kept hearing of all these um, things that were happening with the senators' organization. Obviously, we saw Daniel Alfredson come and go twice. We saw Chris Neal come and go twice. Um, as part of the organization as a player and then after as a um, part of the charity organization. And, you know, we always heard those things. We talk about Tom Anselmi, who was there for uh, six months, who was literally ran MLSE. Like, it, I think for me, the, the, this piece put everything together. Because you had all these things happening, like you were saying, whether it's on the ice or off the ice. And it's like, what's going on? Like, it, it just, it, it didn't, it didn't add up. And I think this piece um, very much put it together. Now, saying that, you know, obviously he did pass away. It's been, what, not even two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has been... Honestly, it's been very contentious uh, with this subject. Was it the right time to publish? And I'm, I'm going to ask, I want you to answer that, but I also want to note uh, the sources were not willing to go on the record until now for various reasons. But do you think now was the right time to publish this story or do you think there was a better time to publish it? I think for me, it was just a different circumstance because, um, you know, again, you know, my condolences to him and his family. Uh, I just kind of felt that we were already in the, in the thick of things. We were already in the deep of what was going on with the senators, why things were being run the way they are. Um, when we had like that speculation and it wasn't even that long ago of is Brady Kachuk going to actually commit to this team long-term or is it going to be like another Mark Stone situation where, and then when we think about Mark Stone, like there's other articles, it was like, Oh, why didn't Jason Spezza after he was named named captain? Why didn't he want to commit to the team long-term because he signed that huge extension with Dallas after he was traded. Right. And for me, I, I think that I was just invested in already in understanding what's going on with the team and how they wanted to change that identity because they were talking about this rebuild being over, about having the pieces set in place. But I think 
I, I just wanted to know what was going to change in terms of the culture, in terms of what was going to happen with, with whether or not you're going to pay your players that you draft because they have drafted very well the last few years. So I, I don't think that they're necessarily like trying to disrupt anything, but we, we already knew that it was, it was an interesting legacy. I'll, I'll say it like that. It was something that you wanted to kind of know that what was really going on here, because there was the highs of highs there. And in the article, they mentioned it of the way they spent in their cup, like towards like their finals run in 2007, right. even off the ice with those lavish parties, those were those examples, but you just want to know, okay, where did this shift happen? And then suddenly we're back into 2021, 2022. It's so like, they want to make another shift towards team success, but you you want you're already like having that in the back of your head. Like, is this gonna be how it was before, or is it something that's gonna be different? So for me, I I don't they, I know that they quoted one of the uh, reps for the sends. I said it was insensitive for the athletic to publish this article. Um, but for me, it just there were a lot of pieces already like talking about the mixed legacy that Eugene Melnick leaves with Ottawa. Right. I, and I, I think I, I do agree with you on the fact that this hat, this, sh- I believe should be published. I think it's a matter f- for me. And, and, you know, I, I was someone who criticized, uh, I don't remember what newspaper it was, but the publication that, uh, wrote about Quebec City and connecting it to Ottawa. And I didn't think for especially the fans and his family for you to be writing about that the day after. I think what I struggle with answering is when is the right time to publish this story? Because I genuinely do believe that this is a story that um, should have been published at some point. It's for me, it's a struggle that I don't know when's the right time. Like what's the cutoff six months, a year. And like, again, like I said, when I brought up the question, it's important to remember that the sources weren't willing to go public with it until now. So saying, well, you should have published this before isn't an option. It wasn't on the table. So you have this information and I think there's plenty of people who would be willing to hear about it, including the people who read the article. Um, it's just, I struggle with trying with answering when's the right time. What is it? Six months from his passing. Is it a year from his passing? That's what I struggle with, but I do believe that that story should have been published at some point. And I want to, I want to ask you this final question about the Melnick article. I'm in a way I want to make this into somewhat positive because I think there is work that's going to be done to change the reputation of the senators in the story towards the end. There was a vendor uh, in 2019 who was bill or they build the senators. And just now they were paid back in full. Now, my question is, you know, clearly, and and we've had this discussion on the podcast many times that, you know, 
there's there's this fractured relationship with the city of Ottawa. And I don't mean like the government, I mean the people of Ottawa and, you know, the SENS alumni. What do you think the organization can do to, I guess, reestablish those relationships or, you know, build a better reputation, I think, within the city? Because I think right now it, it is a little fractured. And I don't think that's wrong to say, I think I would that that was evident before his passing, and I think it's just as evident now. I think, uh, like, because we always talk about team culture and what they what you want to foster in the city. Um, we we've mentioned it before, and this is from my own personal experience as well. Um, when I was at UFT, I was part of like the this was when I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I was part of the mock trial team for the school, and we traveled to Carlton. And I was there for several days. And I think this is coming from when I was really young. Um, you just don't give away Leafs tickets. You don't give away Leafs tickets. Or you don't, you don't pay less than $100 for Leafs tickets. Huh. And I, I remember there were just so many people. I was meeting there, really nice people in Carlton. And then people were just like saying, hey, you want sense tickets? Like, you know, we just, we get this on campus. We we get this pretty easily. And then I said, Oh, that's awesome. And then they're like, by the way, though, you, like you're from Toronto, right? I said, yeah. And then they said, you know, this, the arena is not in the city. And I'm like, what yeah. do you mean? He's like, you, you can't take the bus there. Like you can't take a close bus at least to get there. And then when I was looking, I'm like, wow, this is going to take me quite a while. And I like, you know, as a traveler, I didn't bring my car. So right. I think already there, I kind of felt that it, I guess the ease of getting the tickets, like there's not that, same the demand i'm used to when we're in a city like toronto and second like it's just that i guess that that physical and um like physical and emotional closeness um that i think the team needs to work on that it's really difficult to get there physically and then at the same time if past players that a lot of young fans look up towards saying these are the legends of my team um why are they so distant from the team? Like, why do they not want to come back? Like, Alex, as like a Leafs fan, what happens if Doug Gilmore one day is like, or Matt Sandin's like, I'm not coming to any more Leafs. Well, events. we we had that for years. We not did Doug we did. Gilmore and uh, Matt Sandin, but we had Dave Keon. Yeah, uh, during the Harold Ballard uh, Harold Ballard years, just there was this disconnect. And Daryl Sittler, uh, yeah. Uh, I was gonna, I was going to. I was going to bring that up. And I think like, that's like the first thing uh, I would do is reconnect, try to redevelop the relationships with your alumni. Cause I do think in a sense that does, like you said, in terms of with your fan base, I think that very much helps reconnect your fan base. I think other organizations uh, do it too. Like, and, and sometimes it's a little too much, um, but I think there is a sweet spot that multiple teams uh, have found. And it, I, I think it just maybe, okay, bringing in, um, bringing back alumni might not help the on ice product per se, but I think it does a hell of a lot in terms of community. And I think, that's the most important thing right now 
for the senators to to fix because I think they're all in a way connected. Uh, you know, like you said, they draft extremely well. They have plenty of guys. As much as we dog the sends on the podcast, they have plenty of guys that look to have extremely promising careers in the NHL. And it would be a damn shame for it to not go the right way. And I think the first step is re redefining the Senators brand from what it has been for the last few years, especially. Mm-hmm. And I think there's hope there. Um, and these are small samples, but I think a lot of the guys who are creating their core now are a lot more social media savvy that you'll see Brady Kachuk or you see uh, Thomas Shabbat actually be part of the community where they are now. And I think that if they could keep bringing that and making it like on a larger scale of things, I think that's reestablishing the culture and reestablishing the support that the senators need and that they, they really did have for quite a while. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about the Melnick article, the Ottawa senators before we move on? To be honest, there's a because we only talked about the hockey side of things from that article. So, um, anyone listening no. for all the other details that are going on with everything else, uh, just check out the article. It's an yeah, excellent article. go read 100%. Go read the article. There are some things in there that are not nice. Um, and I, I, in my opinion, kind of appalling, but yeah, again, like. The, the, we'd be revisiting the same conversation again about Eugene Melnick as the owner of the Ottawa senators. Um, so we got to move from one. We, we got to move on to the NHLPA uh, review, uh, the report that came out five days ago. Obviously we didn't record on Sunday, so mm-hmm. we did not talk about it yet. Uh Obviously, after the the Jenner and Block report came out about Kyle Beach uh, and the Chicago Blackhawks and the absolute lack of anything that they did, the 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 Blackhawks, the NHLPA decided to do an investigation um, on whether they did anything wrong. Um, by the way, they did, despite the com- next conversation we'll be having. Um, and they released it uh, five days ago. And I just want to read the, the, the thing that they posted on Twitter. Not the entire thing. Just I, I want to read this little snippet because it's just, it's kind of egregious. Um, quote, the cousin report determined that in some, after a thro- thorough examination of the con- contemporaneous wow record the policies and practices in place at the at the union at the time and the recollections of each of the parties to the contacts with the nhlpa or the sabh program we cannot identify any individual wrongdoing wrongdoing sorry or institutional failures of policy or procedure by either fear NHLPA personnel or the SABH program concerning the handling of Beach's report, uh, Beach's reports. Um, and 
Beach's warnings about Aldrich were not addressed on account of miscommunication and misunderstanding rather than any individual or systemic failure. That they posted that on Twitter. That's yeah. I you read the report. Yeah, yeah. I read the report. That's a lie. That's a blatant lie. That's a slap in the face. I'm sorry. Uh, I have other quotes from within it, but I, I want to start with you. What was that? Like, what was that report? Like, I just, I'm stunned. I think for me, it's just, I don't know. I, I don't know the amount of times I've said this about the league, about how things are going with it, where it's like they never fully address it, if that makes sense. They never actually say this is what happened or this is what we're going to do or so forth. It's just, you know, maybe we just got lost in the miscommunication of things or it's just a subtle way of saying that we, we acknowledge what you said, um, but we're not going to do anything about it. That we, we, we feel that this is just like not our responsibility that I think it's something that I don't know. It's just, it is, it is really scary to be honest. Like if I were a player and I can't trust, um, I can't trust that I'm going to be protected in any way um, or just reporting on anything. It's just, it's just this feeling that I, I don't know how to describe it, that it just, you know, the whole idea of like things will just fall into deaf ears. Yeah. I really feel like that's how it is. No matter what with the NHL right now, whatever is coming up there in the report they talk about like the phone calls and emails that happened that so that describe not okay like yes they do not word for word describe the incidents that happened but from the report it 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 does explain that within those at least the emails that it it was mentioned that there was some not good things happening uh, I'm just pulling up this here. So Gurney, which I believe is uh, one of the player agents, not Kyle Beach's agents, a different black ace. Uh, Gurney told us that he recalled describing Aldridge as either a, quote, pedophile or, quote, sexual predator in his call with fear, but did not provide fear with any details of what had allegedly transpired uh between Beach and Aldridge, it gets better. Fear denied having any recollection of the call, a position he has constantly maintained in both his few public statements as well as our interviews, our interviews of him. In our interviews, Fair, an experienced lawyer, repeatedly made the point that if Gurney had either described Aldridge as a pedophile or sexual predator or requested him to contact USA Hockey, he would have remembered it. Where do you want to start with, with that, those like three or four sentences? Um, I guess the, I, I don't know, like the part was like, oh, I don't remember it. Uh, I'm just, it, it's, this, it, this feels like pure incompetence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you have someone saying that in this phone call, I described to him, I described Aldrich as a quote pedophile or quote sexual predator. Mm-hmm. 
and did nothing? Like, I don't know how else you could describe because those are pretty explicit words that you could call someone and yeah. and not actually take it seriously like that is I don't know. It's I don't I I'm I'm kind of speechless right now on it because when I first read the report and I first was looking into all the analysis too, especially from Elliot Friedman. Um yeah, it's just it's just this feeling of like it's just that same feeling we always we talk about again. It's just people wanted to cover it up. And yes, they resigned. Uh you know, Rocky Wirtz really told us about that yeah. during the uh, team meeting. Uh, the the GM resigned. Uh, Stan Bowman's gone, and like I think that there was that opportunity here to to fully address it by the NHLPA. And as of right now, it just it's just that feeling again where it, it you realize it is a like it is a small circle. You don't want to. You don't want to do the quote unquote rock the boat with anything. And I don't know. It's just like when I feel like, like it's, it's like you're tone deaf in a way where you're not looking at the writing on the wall of this is, this is a big deal. This is a huge issue. Everyone else is speaking about it, but the NHL is still it's in its own sphere of things of this is how we do things. And, you don't speak out. You, yeah. We 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 want to maintain this sense of identity that I don't really know what it is anymore, to be honest with the NHL, that we want to maintain what we are and we can't have these quote-unquote real-world problems seeping in. I uh, 100%, 100% agree. And it, I, going back to that, that's snippet i read does it not okay so first off we're in agreement that that what i that just that part alone i read this is a 20 page report and i read you three or four sentences what that was an individual or systemic failure is that fair to say mm-hmm. that statement that the nhlpa put out is wrong yeah they are liars the like it's just a lie like I, it's a lie. Um, and I, I want to say, and I, and you tell me if you disagree or agree with me here, but fair Donald fair, an experienced lawyer was unneeded. And to me, it, it, it didn't sit right when I read it like that in our interviews, fair, an experienced lawyer repeatedly made the point that if Gurney had either described Aldridge as a pedophile or sexual predator or requested him to contact USA hockey, he would have remembered it. Really? That's what we're going to go off of. Even though we have an email and a phone call, but because Donald fair said it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Well, that's really horrible due diligence right there. Like I'm to me, to, to me, I, I'm thinking if I'm, again, this might probably will never happen, but if I'm in his position and I have a phone call that says that I'm on top of it, 
a hundred percent. I'm on top of it. A hundred percent. I just, it, it honestly, it left me very uncomfortable, not anywhere near the Jenner and block report. Cause that I think the Jenner and block report was very, very detailed in terms of what actually happened. And I, I will never forget reading that report. Um, this was, uh, this was uh, completely different and, and I don't think uh, near that, but I, I just come on really that's what you got from it that there was no individual or systemic failure how on earth could you say like how could you write that down publish it oh like come on i have so many thoughts in my head going at once but like because there's so there was so much happened before and after it before the report came out well there was a power outage okay you know like what they did right sorry daniel i don't mean to ramble on i'm gonna no let no I, this is excellent but, stuff it's just uh like the power outage one I think like the was. power like you know what that reminded me of there'd be times during the pandemic where both the federal government or provincial government would casually throw something out um around 5 p.m on a friday night yeah just late enough we're not like maybe not five o'clock because that's still a reasonable time but just late enough where some people would see it but a lot of people wouldn't and that's what that felt like where at 10 a.m sorry we can't release this but we'll release this at four o'clock in the middle of prime time driving sports radio are you really really like that's when you're come on like I love Stephen Brunt and I love um, the guys on Overdrive, but how, they're not going to get to that because that's a damn detailed report. Or they'll get to it, but it won't be the proper discussion it deserves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. that took time to go through, and I think for everybody, including Westhead and including Friedman, and I saw uh, I saw other people write about it too. Um, it, it was that was sort the the power outage thing just was kind of ridiculous. Do you have anything to add about the five minutes? I think I was talking. No, no, like I think it's just when they do these things. I know that uh, why they do it in terms of why they publish it, but I think for me, it's just it 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 just I don't know. It just it just it exposes it more of. You're not handling this very well. You're not, you're not doing what you think you're gonna do because there are guys like you mentioned. There is a Rick Westhead out there. There is an Elliot Freeman. We're gonna look into this, and there's gonna be analysis on this report eventually. So I don't know. I think it's just it's it is a time where when I mentioned that sphere concept of what the NHL is in terms of blocking out all the outside noises with everything. I think that. We and you know this might be bold or this might be incorrect that we're in a time right now that you can't just the NHL can't hide anymore. That this is gonna there's still gonna be this there's gonna be a lot of voices that are continuing the conversation on this. I know it's not gonna be monumental shifts in any way like we've seen anywhere else, but I think that there is a change there. See, I and and I do agree with you to a set uh, to an extent. It's 
it's just I was going to bring this up later, but since we're talking about it now, I, I do want to get back to the report because there was stuff uh, about Donald Fear um, afterwards in terms of the NHL players and stuff like that. So I do want to bring that up. But did you know that around the time, uh, you know, the Kyle Beach, uh, I believe it was the report first came out uh, that Gary Bettman got in a uh, contract extension. I remember that. <laughs> do you? Cause I did it. I do not remember that at all. I heard about that last night on the Steve Dangle podcast. I just remember the uh, hubbub everybody had on Twitter about it, but then like, it was kind of, I don't know. It was just kind of like, it was just that it was just the isolated thing. It wasn't like just yeah. one, like the, it wasn't like mixed in with anything. It, it was completely thrown under, in my opinion, like, listen, I don't know everything, but I felt that was thrown under the rug a little bit in terms of uh, reporting on. Um, and it, it's, that's why, like, I do agree with you in terms of, yes, this will keep this. We will keep talking about this story. Cause I think this is a never ending story in terms of there's always stuff that's going to be coming out about whether it's Kyle beach or whether it's um, someone else. Uh, and I, God, I hope not, but <laughs> it, there's a very good chance that there might be someone else too. Um and I think there's really good reporters out there who are going to report on it. Rick Westhead, Katie Strang. I'm sure I'm missing loads of people. Um, the local reporters in Chicago who are on this first, God, I hope there's local reporters in other cities that would be willing to do the same. Um, I, but again, I just think the biggest guys and Rick was, so I don't want to disparage Rick Westhead. Rick Westhead is incredible at what he does. And he is a well-known hockey journalist, but or investigative sports journalist, sorry. He, but one is not enough. There needs to be more than just Rick Westhead properly reporting on this stuff. And like, I was ready to walk into this show today and say, wow, you know, uh, credit to X, Y, and Z on reporting on this. I saw obviously Friedman wrote about it. Uh, there was a few others I saw as well. But when I heard the Gary Bettman contract extension, I'm like, out the door. The credit's out the door. Like gone. Like I don't. I'm not interested. Like yeah. do like you. We're we're. Like, come on. You you have to properly do this stuff. I think yeah. Like we mentioned it before. We're we always talk about small circles when it comes to the higher ups with things, but like the NHL is probably the smallest of the smallest. Well, <laughs> I the find 200 like, hockey, man. Yeah. That I don't know. You're not going to, if the guy still wants to do it, you're not going to take out the ringleader. <laughs> if the guy still wants to keep on going and be the commissioner, um, he dictates what's going to happen. Um, I don't know. It's, it, it, like I don't know, I'm thinking about it right now. Where you were right, there wasn't really much written on it. I just got the updates on it. I never right. like, got any like critical analysis on what does this mean for the game moving forward. 
And, and I believe it happened during like an executive meeting. The, there's like the, there's the 32 owners, but there's the executive owners. Um, and I believe it happened. It happened during that meeting. And it's just, it's frustrating, right? Because the last, and I, I always I keep bringing this up, but whatever, the last 24 months have been very difficult for hockey yet the people that I believe should be instrumental in exposing the problems aren't really doing that. Right. Like it's just, it's frustrating. Um, yeah. It's, it's frustrating when that happens. Um, is there anything else about the Gary Bettman stuff before I just want to quickly finish up with the report? Nothing really. It just, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I've said it before. I've said it. Like, I'm not surprised he got the extension. No. No. Um, I'm not surprised. Okay, two things. I'm not surprised he didn't. He got the extension, and I'm not surprised that it happened behind closed doors. Very NHL like. Right. Right. And we, and Daniel, we both know. We both know. Every, like, a lot of more people knew about it than it was probably led on. Like, let's not forget Frank Saravelli broke every single expansion draft pick before it was on television. Like it's yes, it's a small circle, but it's an open book. Yeah. And it's the people it's people choosing not to talk about it. That that's what's slowing us down. And, and remember that, remember that report you sent us where it was like, how like there was two maybe NHLers on the list of the most um was it profitable, oh, profitable Canadian athlete, yeah. Really? Mitch like Martin is the, in top ten. Yeah, but it's the biggest sport, it's supposedly the biggest sport in the country. Yeah. And all due respect to Alfonso Davies definitely should be up there. But who was two? Tristan Thompson? Yeah, Tristan Thompson and then Come Lance Strohan. Like that, okay, Lance Stroll, I get you know, Lance Stroll, I understand, but Tristan Thompson, Ridley, I know, like it's frustrating. That's all it is. That's why I'm like this. Um, I want to quickly go back to the report, obviously, with the fallout of everything that happened, even before this report, there was a lot of questions about Don Fear. I believe he's 75 or, or almost 75. And after this report came out, there were some questions about whether he'd still be on board and, you know, what's this succession plan? Uh, and this is the, this was from Rick Westhead after the report, this was on the 16th, the day after Hearing of divide among NHL players over report on NHLPA executive director Don Fear. Uh, some say Fear Fear exonerated, others angry over his I have no recollection responses. Will be interesting to watch whether Fair up oh, 73, sorry, not 75, is allowed to influence search for his successor as he plots an exit. Okay. It, Again, I don't know how you read the report. Like, if you're like this, if you're like not properly no, looking, I don't recall. Yeah. Oh no. Yes. Yes. Then sure, I understand why you're. Um, you think he would be exonerated, but minimal critical thinking skills 
would tell you otherwise. That's the frustrate. Like, how do you read that and say, yeah. we're good. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, remember when Wayne Gretzky and you kind of brought it up before, but remember when Wayne Gretzky said that stuff about Chicago on national television in the United yeah. States. He's like, I like, I want, I would want to know if my child is going to be safe or not. Guys, oh my goodness. like how does anyone not read that and then read this report and be like, I guess my child's going to be safe. I just, it's ah, what do you, okay. I'll ask you a question. Cause I've yeah. talked a little too much. <laughs> what would you say if the report came out that Donald fear is going to be heavily involved in his succession plan in his successor. Sorry. More of the same. Um, I think, and this, you know, I don't know if this is going to be accurate, but it, it does feel like it sometimes where when these things are brought up, there's this feeling where there are people and we talk about, you know, the 200 men in hockey or we talk about the old time hockey fans or we talk about hockey culture um when these things are brought up i think that it's they really do get on the defensive on things where it's just these like oh that's an isolated situation that's not hockey that's not hockey to us we have to maintain that this is our identity um or if something is brought up like negatively like you know, we talk about Tom Wilson a lot sometimes when he has those punches or those hits and it, like people would like, you know, some old fashioned hockey fans would be like, oh, that's real hockey. But other times where there is a troublemaker kind of thing, like I'll, I'll ask, I'll, I'll mention Evander Kane. I know we're going to talk about him after, but I'll mention Evander Kane. And what I see sometimes, and it's not everybody, but on Twitter, sometimes you see oh, that's not hockey. It's just a couple of bad apples that these things happen, but that's not the sport. That's not, don't look at the one thing and say, oh, this is it. Um, we have our own identity we established and we're good with it. Well, I, I think you're, you're spot on there. And, and I think what sometimes we, not we, because I think we bring it up quite often, but what sometimes people ignore is that yes, these things are going to, whether there's rules in place or not, bad things happen. Um, can't bad things can happen. It's do you have the proper rules in place to deal with when these bad things happen? And a lot of the times we find out in the NHL, the answer is no. And it's April 20th, 2022. That's not acceptable. Like, uh, it's not. Uh, yeah, it's... I'm trying to, like, because we talked about the GTHL as well. That right. there's those situations going on. And listen, like, I know this... This... And I'm not saying every situation is the same, but, like, there's just these things coming up that suddenly it's like, this is, this is like, this is not, like, an isolated incident that, you know, there has to be ways to prevent these things from happening. A hundred, a hundred percent. And I really hope the NHL does something real soon. My guess it won't, but like, again, we got it. People have to keep reporting on it. That's how things are going to uh, get done. Hopefully 
it's going to be an interesting period the next few years for hockey uh, and especially the NHL uh, in North America. This is a tough transition, but we're going to make it. Uh, I want to go from a really not great story to a really, really good story in my eyes, at least. And I think most people eyes, uh, most people's eyes uh, on Saturday night headlines, 32 thought, damn it. It's not headlines. It's 32 thoughts. I'm sorry. <laughs> I even, I practice it. I swear to God, I practice it in my head like three yeah. or four times before I'm like 32 thoughts, 32 thoughts. Uh, Jeff Merrick on 32 thoughts headlines, as I like to call it, uh, announced about the PWHPA and there's going to be a new league for the players within the PWHPA. Uh, There's going to be six teams within six team league in both Canada and the U S right now. It's going to take place between January and April of 2023. Uh, There's going to be obviously 23 skaters per team. There's going to be a $35,000 minimum salary and $55,000 dollar average salaries plus benefits and it's going to be a 32 game schedule uh, he also said expect a new name for the league so again that's something we're still expecting but we have been talking about women's hockey quite a bit uh pretty much since the olympics which in my eyes is always good what was your first uh thought when you saw this all unfold we talked about before how um, there was that collapse between the unification of the leagues and we were just kind of unsure how things were going to be. Um, sorry. <coughs> um, there's just been like, everything's been in limbo and we didn't know how things were going to go, but at least for now, I like that there's a framework of how they want things to go for this new league that, things might be rebranded that they actually have the concrete details of what they want to do. And I think that's the first step in sustainability of growing women's hockey right now with their own dedicated league that I think that hopefully also gets the amount, like the support it deserves. So for me, I think great first step so far, but I still want to see how everything else goes. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think these next, uh, let's say, a couple of years are going to be uh, vital for women's hockey, and um, and I think good things are going to come out come out of it. like everyone who's been reporting on women's hockey. Yeah, okay, there's been some bad things happening, but like I, I brought up the tweet I think from uh, Danny Ryden last week that it seems like good things are coming, and kind of within five days we did hear hear about that um again like i'm i know in the past i've been hesitant of two leagues but i think the more i think about it and the more i read the more i'm actually extremely comfortable with having two leagues as long as there's a place for them to play hockey i think that's a lot like as long as they're okay with the specifications of the league as i guess we'll call it that's fine with me whether there's one two or three leagues as long as there's a place for these women to play hockey because i i think i think it's important i think it's it's better than saying well they're we'll see them in four years at the olympics or we'll see them once a year at the world championships like that's not enough that's really never been enough 
Um, but it's it's really not enough anymore. Oh, I think you're muted. <laughs> we've mentioned that. Uh, I have to get that sip of water. Uh, we've mentioned that. Uh, it is going to be only that six team framework, but again, like it's a good step in giving them a league to play in and something you could really grow on after. I like that point you brought up with the international play because those are always exciting times that it's always kind of pushed, especially on like mass media of women's hockey. Isn't it great? Aren't you having fun? Isn't it something that it's like kind of captured the attention of the entire nation and you know, everywhere else internationally, why can't we see this more often? Like, and I think that there are these concrete solutions coming up now with these leagues that they want to try to sustain that because I think that it's just going to make it even better that now we have a more accessible platform to see these games. And then when things happen, like a world championship, like an Olympics, that it's going to be even more special because we've been following these players um, like throughout the years, throughout their seasons, throughout their plays. We know them. We know, like, we know, we know who they are. And we just don't need those biggest plat, those big platforms to just kind of know them for a few weeks and then we move on. We actually know the players. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I couldn't ag- agree more. And I want to move to another really good story. I think. I mean, it's caused some uh, issues with some teams in the past, but I think this is a a really good story. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury has been in the news recently. Uh, He told La Presse, uh, a newspaper out of Montreal, that he would like to play at least one more season. Uh, The quote was, I'd like to play at least one, at least another season. I decided that recently I still like to play. I still have fun. The body still holds uh, most of the time, but yes, another season and we'll, we will see after. Now, my question for you, where do we see Marc-Andre Fleury in the 2022-2023 season? It's pretty interesting because um, I think that uh, it depends on what this guy wants because Adam has mentioned before that he got the Vesna. He already has the cups. He has the gold medal. This guy is not going to, this guy is, could just ride the waves and do whatever he wants right now. But we we'll always have to remember when it comes to older players that they already have established family. Their kids are growing up. And I, I personally think if he sees the vision, the way we see it with Minnesota, I could see him resigning there. Um, the way I kind of see it is he already moved the kids to the Midwest, to the, no, to the central with Chicago. Why not stay in the same division, stay in the same like vicinity of that area and just don't uproot the kids again across the country. Um, the wild could surprise. They could give flurry that one last chance of going for a run. We don't know how this year is going to go either. So, you know, it really depends too on how, what Minnesota is going to do in the playoffs. They really addressed like literally their biggest need yeah. uh, with Mark on Flurry. So um, I could see him staying in Minnesota because of what he's mentioned before, when he was contemplating, he, he was contemplating retirement, like, or the reports where he was contemplating it. If he left Vegas, so if he still has the desire to play again, and he's been great, he's been healthy, that's the biggest thing. Um, 
I could see him doing one more year in Minnesota. Um, you know, I, the easy one would say Pittsburgh, what they want to do there. But, you know, Tristan Jari, pending how the first round goes, the playoffs for them, he's turned things around. So I think the Penguins are pretty content with what they have. Well, Daniel, you stole my answer. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to take the Pittsburgh <laughs> Penguins. Man, you just ripped my answer. I'm sorry. Apart. Too many but, honorable mentions. Listen, I have here's, here's, here's the thing. I, I I looked at Minnesota. I said, okay, maybe. Like The, the thing with Minnesota is um, they do need to – They uh, who am I missing here? Sorry. They do need to re-sign – Kevin Fiala, right? And I mean, that's obviously still up in the air. Uh, it's, it sounds like it's probably not going to happen is what everyone I've listened to uh, kind of had said. It's still a possibility, um, but still, you know, with $8 million in cap play or nine, sorry, because the extra million dollars they now have, the $9 million in cap space, you know, no, I'm not saying Flurry's not worth it, but again, it's the question is how much do you trust Tam Talbot or Cam Talbot? Sorry, mm-hmm. um, I just thought Pittsburgh because you know, listen, Casey DeSmith is up after this season. Tristan Jari has one more year. Um, you know, who knows what's happening with Latang and Malkin? It's a possibility. It would be nice to bring them back. Imagine they signed all three of them. They sign, they resign Malkin, they resign Latang, and then they bring back Marc Andre Fleury, and they do one big run together. Um, it's probably unlikely, but it would be a hell of a story, and would probably be really exciting. It would be something we'd watch as a uh, documentary series. Oh yeah, <laughs> later on for sure, for, yeah. for sure. And if they don't resign Malkin, what I they can do what I suggested, which was sign Nazem Kadri, and then you bring in Mark Andre. Okay, and yeah. then we're good. Like <laughs> either way, I'm happy, man. But uh, <laughs> either way, but I, I think either like really either team uh, could use him. In, in do you think in Minnesota, do you think they trust Cam Talbot enough, or do you think that's something they're going, regardless with Flurry or not, is goaltending something they're going to address in the offseason? I think they have to because this is he's gonna have one more year after this right. Cam Talbot, and he's getting a lot older. He really turned things around for his career ever since he went to he went to Minnesota, but again, like there's a reason why you also got Mark Andre Flurry at the deadline. Yeah. If you're not gonna fully trust a Cam Talbot, or you know, you traded a Yan Kukinen, a Capo Kukinen, um, away who you didn't believe he was the guy. Um, you know, Jesper Wallstad is great goalie, fantastic prospect, arguably one of the best goalie prospects, not in the NHL right now. And have you switched I, your allegiances by you? No, curiosity? I'm just being fair, you're, trying to make you sure you gone like, from Yaroslav Askarov to Jesper Wallstad. Have we? I said one of the, one of the best, one of the best, one of the best. Um, he's uh, years away from really like being the guy there. Um, I think, especially the way teams are with goalies. Um, there's a lot of cautionary stories there, but I could see him having the same path as a Spencer Knight, where you give him the games, but you don't fully give him the full schedule yet. And it'll be interesting to see what the Wild do there because they have to keep considering the money and we have to see like what is flurry really going to demand 
here? Is it going to be like, like to help out a contending team? Is he going to take like the minimum? Um, is he still going to try to tough. say like, I want to give that money? Like it's, it's, it's something that uh, we'll see what happens there because I could still see flurry like, you know, you know, and it was a sad thing to see that we could see what Henrik Lundqvist tried to do when he was in Washington, maybe where if you want to, I know it's different him because he never won the cup, but I don't know. Like if things don't work out in Minnesota, things just are not the right fit in Pittsburgh. I could see him maybe taking last money and just be that like one B guy on a contending team. No, that's that's definitely enough. We have not answered the question. We haven't. We no. have said Minnesota. We went from Minnesota to Pittsburgh to well, I mean, he could just sign with any <laughs> contending team. Like, who knows? He might be Tampa Bay's goaltender next year, which I would absolutely despise. By the way, if he's anywhere near Florida next year, I will despise that ever happening. That's brutal uh, for anyone in the Atlantic Division. Um, okay, so let's let's finish the show off with uh, the Leafs. Um, They've, I don't know how, but I guess it's been almost a week since we, (laughs) since we've talked, but they've played four games. So there's quite a bit uh, to go around. Uh, They've played three good games and they played one. Okay. Game is the Mm -hmm. way I look at it. Like the Sens game. I don't, uh, again, I said it before. I don't understand. I don't know. Like, I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. For some reason, there's like four teams. Uh, it's Montreal, Ottawa, Arizona, and Buffalo. It's just brutal every time. It's just, I hate to watch it because it's like, show up. Damn it. It's like, just show up. Um, but the other three games, the Caps, the Isle, uh, the Islanders, and the Flyers, there were some things that happened. Matthews hit 100, uh, and Matthews actually didn't, hadn't played uh, since that Caps game. Uh, Bunting had snapped his scoring drought. And, and I think the, the thing that happened in the Islanders game, which I think a lot of people were talking about, was that they broke their wins and points record uh, which they set in 1718. Um, How does it feel? Cool. I had the same, I retweeted it and I wish I, I pulled it up, but uh, there was an Alex Kerfoot quote where he's like, pretty much like, that's great. But like, it means absolutely nothing if they, if we do not win. And I could not agree more. Like it's cool. Like re- the way I think about it is, when we go back to say, hey, remember when Columbus swept Tampa? Yeah. We're talking about Columbus sweeping Tampa. We're not talking about how they had like, what, 62 wins, right? Yeah. Like, And, and so I, I'm not trying to compare the two teams. I'm just looking at it as if they do not win anything, I cool. Like, you know who actually whatever. said something about this? Uh, Kobe Bryant. What did Kobe talk about it when uh, he's like, it doesn't matter. It's not done yet because I remember they, uh, I think this was 2009 prior to the finals. They just won the, the Western conference. And then he, he wasn't really celebrating. He's like, it doesn't matter. The the job's not finished yet. And I, I, I exactly feel the same way with that, where I think that it's great. We've hit the milestones uh, before with, the regular season points. Um, 
let's just get to where we need to go now. And a week ago, we mentioned about how Sheldon Keefe was mentioning on this up and down type of play they had. And for me, like this current streak they kind of have is something that I, I'm happy they addressed, that you work out the kinks um, before you get into the playoffs. Like that Sens game was weird game. Thanks, Mark Giordano. But the other games, it, they showed like what kind of team they can be. And, you know, mind you, the last two games have been without Austin Matthews. And they've really come together and been like a complete team. So I like the wave they're on right now. They're fixing the things they need to fix and they're getting ready for the bigger games. And I, but, and I said, I think when they lost to, I don't remember who it was. It was one of the teams. It was when we were together. Was um, it Buffalo? It might've been Buffalo yeah. where it's, it's frustrating because again, let's, let's look at, they played uh, the Capitals. They played great. Are they, I thought it was a good game. Like, and I thought it was a good game because, you know, it's like the Capitals, and this happened against the Islanders too, where it, it okay, it wasn't a full-blown bloodbath, but it got a little physical. And in my eyes, when things get physical, it doesn't always go well for the Leafs. Like history has proven that to us. Um, and the fact that they were able to still stand and play the way that they wanted and were able to do what they do to me was a positive sign. But again, I reiterate this. It's the regular season. None of this matters. Like I, I've said this from game one, Uh, like I've been saying this from the beginning of the season, none none of this matters if they don't win. Um, And I have some pretty lofty expectations. Unfortunately, it's just what happens. Um, Like, you know what you deserve as a fan, Alex, you know what you deserve. What I've been expecting for the last couple of years, (laughs) I've just upped it. Because I'm like, what the hell? Like, this is what you're paid for, but um, that's fine. Um, where was I going to go? I lost my train of thought <laughs> for a second there. But <laughs> sorry, it was it's frustrating watching them play. You know, Ottawa, the uh, the Sabers, the Coyotes. Not the apparently the Islanders and the Flyers are fine, even though yeah, they're not they they're not great teams. But magically they play them okay right like they they man the leafs yes they threw jack campbell out against the islanders but if you look in the past like they've thrown their backup goaltender usually against the islanders like i think michael hutchinson had a shutout against the islanders joseph wall did garrett sparks also play against the Islanders? like whatever just a that's a weird team uh versus the leafs I, i don't know why um but like Mon- the Montreal, Ottawa, Arizona, Buffalo, it's just frustrating to watch yeah. them play like that. And then, you know, when they play against Tampa, Florida, Washington, Carolina, Boston, and they play so much better, that's frustrating. Uh, and I hope that they play the way they do against those teams in the playoffs because that's what you're kind of going to need. Yeah. Um, and, and since we're at the place, unless you have anything else to talk about those four games uh, in particular, I'm going to use the same thing I said about the carry price uh, return. I am just enjoying the streak. I'm enjoying the wave they're on right now. And I like how they're preparing for the bigger games. I'm really glad you're enjoying 
because <laughs> I don't know if I can say the same. Um, but before we end the episode, uh, and I, this was Adam's idea, I want to do a little exercise. Okay. Uh, let's. I, I'd like to do. <laughs> I want you to do 20 jumping jacks. No, right. I'm just joking. Um, I want to create the, in your eyes, the ideal playoff lineup. I have my lines. I'm very curious to know what your lines would look like for the Leafs. Okay. Um, I'm completely throwing that on you last. Yeah, week. I know. Okay. I, I, uh, first I can line, go first. If first you line, uh, not go. First line doesn't change. Okay. Yeah. For me. Bunting Matthews Marner. Yes. Um, I think at least for game one, you go with the conventional so you go with Tavares, Nylander, yeah. Mikheyev. Um, third line, I would say I would keep it with David Kampf as the center, um, Alex Kerfoot on the left, and I don't know, on the right, what would I put there? Right now it's Pierre Engvall. Yeah. Cause I like them like I like him as an energy fourth line guy, but I know I don't know. Like I'd probably put I'd probably stay with Engvall there, and then okay. my fourth line would probably be Blackwell, Spezza, and Simmons. Simmons, okay. So, <laughs> well, the, forward yeah. wise, we have practically the same line. Okay. Um, the only difference is I actually I don't know like. I, ever since he had that injury last season, Simmons has just seemed completely off uh, to me. Um, he started really well with the Leafs, and obviously, yes, that was going to regress. But it when he had that injury and he came back, it, maybe it's just me, but something has seemed completely off. And, you know, when you bring in Kyle Clifford for future considerations, you feel a lot better about Kyle Clifford than when you trade him for pretty much like a third round, uh, a third round pick. But yeah, for me, you have to have one of Simmons or Clifford in the lineup. Yeah. Personally, I lean a little more to Clifford, but I can definitely be swayed to Simmons side like this. Or if Spets is not really rolling, like that's kind of been a not Spets has not looked fantastic this year. Uh, hopefully, you know, it looks like playoff Jason Spets, like he's been the last few years where, but usually he's the only guy that shows up. Um, I could be swayed to put Wayne Simmons on the right as well. But yeah, that's what my lineup looks like the exact same. Man. Okay. <laughs> I think of, we, we, we remember it where, uh, Remember when they used to have the energy fourth line, um, like the pure energy fourth line? These like it was a uh, Nick against Washington. Yeah, or, like oh. Tyler Ennis. Like they oh, would have those types of guys on the fourth line that I don't. You know that's great. That's Kyle Dubas hockey, but it's just not playoff like a playoff fourth line. I know I'm nitpicking with the fourth line, but if you want to add some toughness there, you want to add a character guy there. Like you have to have a Wayne Simmons. You have to have a Kyle Clifford there. I'm not saying they're Colton or, or Fraser McLaren, but you need that element there. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Okay. What do you have on defense? I imagine it's the exact same as me, but let's um, find out. I'm probably going to say Riley yep. uh, Brody. I want to put that back together. Okay. Okay. Um, Muzzin, Labushkin, Giordano, and Lilligren. Okay. 
I no. don't want, I don't know. I just, yeah, I, I didn't put Justin Hall. Neither did I. Uh, okay. I had it a little bit different than you, actually. I, again, just flip Labushkin and Brody, but I have Riley Labushkin. That's weird. Like, unsurprised. Like, actually, sorry, very surprisingly worked. Um, when, when they traded Labushkin, I'm like, okay, that guy's going on the third pairing with Rasmus Sandin. Uh, and sorry, Timothy, like, you're kind of out of the lineup, but. Uh, and then I have Muzzin and Brody. I, I just, and again, let so let's say Muzzin's not healthy. I know he hasn't played the last few games. Get take Muzzin out, you put Brody and Hall, which worked okay. Um, and then you have Giordano and Timothy Lilligren. And I think with Giordano next to him, I think Timothy Lilligren has looked like has looked pretty good. Uh, I, I really can't complain. Okay, so obviously you'll notice there we've missed two guys uh, who have been kind of staples in the lineup most of the season, uh, which is Andre Kasha and Rasmus Sandin. And I mean, personally, I don't think Kasha's coming back. If not now, maybe he might come back later if they make it past the first round. Um, it's just yesterday was today or yesterday was his first time back on the ice since he since he was died since he's pretty much had a concussion. Yeah. Um, and he was in a no contact sweater. And, you know, we're like less than two weeks away from the playoffs. I just find it hard to believe that Kasha would make a return maybe in the first round. Uh, probably, if anything, if he does come back, maybe in the second round. Uh, and with Rasmus Sandin, I feel like I absolutely know nothing about his injury. Yes, so it's here. like, I, I mean, like again, it's the the Leafs. Like they don't tell me any, they don't tell us anything half the time. So I just, I really didn't think it was uh, fair to put either of those guys in there. And I mean, with Rasmus Sandin, that would make the defense so, so much more messy. I have no idea who would come out. Yeah, same here. Um, it's interesting because like, it's, it's like that idea again. Like you're not looking too ahead of right now. We're focused on ending the season well, focused on the first round and getting through it. And then we'll just figure out how the injuries go. But as of right now, I think the way the lines are, it's just the guys who are performing and the guys who are healthy. So 100%. go for that. A hundred percent. Is there anything else to that you want to talk about with the Leafs before I wrap this episode up? I'm going to double check Twitter. All right. So. I'll check it too. But uh, I'm surprised you didn't put Nicholas Abruzzese uh, no, in the lineup. Abruzzo pizza. I mean, sorry. That's not <laughs> nice. Um, no, I, I mean, here's the thing. Like, and I know he's last night against Philly. He did look better than before. Um, it's just, it's not right now. Right now, ain't it? Like, just throw that guy on the fourth line because he's not, where is he making? Like, yes, last night, Keith absolutely scrambled the lines, which he's been doing against not great teams. But other than the fourth line, I just can't envision him anywhere else. And I just don't think it's fair to throw him he's had what five games of nhl experience Uh, who he might have closer to 10 by the time we get to the playoffs to throw him in 
the complete fire of the NHL playoffs where that we're not, again, like remember like you were talking about a few episodes ago when we were talking about Matthew Nyes, we're not like, he's not a top five pick coming out of college. Like this is a guy who was drafted later on and you, it's, I just, I don't think it's worth it. I don't think, and I don't think it helps. Who's it helping? I don't think it really helps the Leafs. Like, who are you going to take out? Probably, if you're looking at it, Jason Spezza. Like I said, you need to have one of Simmons or Clifford there. And I just, I'd rather have Spezza in there at this moment. Yeah, same here. Okay. Um, Is there anything uh, that we missed on Twitter? uh, Go Raptors. Go Raptors. That's (laughs) us in about uh, half an hour. Yeah. Uh, by the time you're listening to it, it's probably over, but that is. That we believe is till the end. We believe oh, until one team gets four wins. So exactly. That's how it works. I like that quote. I like that quote from uh, Van Fleet. Um, okay. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the two on one podcast. Uh, if you liked it, make sure you come back uh, and make sure if you can, you can do it on Spotify and you can do it on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to give us a rate. I think, I don't know if you can do it on Spotify, but on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, and you can watch us on YouTube and you can watch us on Spotify too. So we will see you hopefully on Sunday, barring major things happening. All right, bye guys.